Well, today's going to be an amazing day. If you hadn't met me yet, if I hadn't had the privilege to meet you, my name is Jim Kyles, and my beautiful wife, Phyllis, and our amazing team get the privilege of pastoring this great church. Uh, so honored to get to meet people today. I met people for the very first time. We have been on sabbatical for a little bit. We had a five-week sabbatical or five-Sunday sabbatical. And this morning, I was meeting people who said, well, we came the day you started your sabbatical, and today was the first time I got to meet them. And they said, we have loved this church from day one. And if you're in uh, here today and that's your story, I'd love to meet you. We hang out in the foyer afterwards, and I'd love to greet you personally and shake your hand and get to know you. We are in our series, Unstuck and Unstoppable. And so super excited about it. I got two people excited about it. It's okay. It's all good. Need to get some people unstuck. <laughs> Uh, I, I wrote a book last year um, called Unstuck and Unstoppable, and I'm so thrilled. It's going to come and come out and be released in August, September. Uh, it'll be the fall of this year, and we got some pre-release copies of the book. And through the generosity of the church, every person at our church got a copy of the pre-release book. And if you're here today, you actually can get a copy as well. I'll be out in the foyer. I'd love to sign the book for you and get you a copy today. Uh, it really has be, been a life message for me. The journey of the book started, uh, you know, through the pandemic uh, it was 2020, I think it was November. Um, you know, we had just had one of the craziest years we had ever had. And coming out of the pandemic, I preached a series called Unstuck. How many of you were with us in the school when I preached that series, Unstuck? And I uh, felt like something was on it. Really, the series was birthed out of me complaining to God. Um, anybody ever complain to God? You call it prayer, but he may call it complaining. You know, we're just complaining. And uh, I, I, it was sometime in July and just complaining about being stuck and feeling like, woe is me. And uh, it's, it's interesting because you can think, well, he's a pastor. He never has problems. Listen, pastors have got problems. Come on, can I get an amen? Now, if you don't know, let me tell you, pastor's got some problems. And uh, I go through stuff just like you. And I realized where, where I really began to realize how the pandemic had affected me was I actually went to a doctor's visit. Uh, they had opened it up to where we could go out and needed some blood work done. So I'm at a doctor's visit, got my mask on, get checked in, just needed blood work. Nobody was in the waiting room. And so they checked me in, say, have a seat, Mr. Kyle. So I go have a seat, watching some silly show on the TV. And all of a sudden, a man walks in, got a mask on, checks in. And that man had the audacity to come and sit right next to me. Got an open waiting room. Nobody in there, but he's coming to sit right by me. And I, I got offended. Who does, now I didn't say nothing, you know, I had my little, but who does he think sitting next to me, don't he know we're in a pandemic? And the Holy Spirit really captured my heart and said, wow, wow, look, without even realizing it, fear has begun to grip your heart and isolate you. See, just a couple of months earlier, that wouldn't have been anything. In fact, I would have welcomed it. I would have been talking, hey, how you doing? Talk to me. We just, we'd have a conversation. But the pandemic had caused me to begin to operate in fear. Well, well I hadn't operated in fear like that ever. Never been afraid of relationships. So the enemy's trying to isolate me from the very thing that I need to get unstuck, which is people. Not only do we need God, yes, we need a relationship with God, but how many know we need relationship with people? 
And it's got to be more than Zoom and online and thank God for those options. But we need some face-to-face interaction and, and people. And so I just recognized what had happened. There's some other things as well. And so I found myself being stuck and having to figure out the process. Okay, God, if I'm stuck, how do I get unstuck? You know, <laughs> how many realized, whoo, you know, you're like, uh, mm. You know, I thought I had a healthy family. Anybody thought you had a healthy family and then you're locked in the house with that healthy family for 24 hours a day? How many thought, man, y'all are dysfunctional. I don't know what happened to y'all, but y'all must not be my kids because my kids don't act like this. Yes, they do. You just normally go to work and give them to the school and the after daycare, after school program, and then you get them home for dinner, you tuck them in bed and you're like, my kids are so perfect. And then you got to play Mr. Teacher. Miss Teacher. And uh, what we realized was, wow, maybe there is some dysfunction in my family. How many maybe had some marriage problems? You're like, oh, brother, COVID brought some marriage problems. No, no, he didn't bring problems from your marriage. He exposed the problems in your marriage. Yeah, people say, well, it was COVID. That's what, no, 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 no. It just simply exposed what was there. And you, now you've got to go face to face with it and realize, look, maybe I'm not as healthy as I thought I was. You know, some of the isolation and some of, some of the bad habits, because that's really what COVID, for me, you know, when it first happened, I mean, I'll never forget in March, uh, we had just gone on a little mini vacation. My family and I, we'd gone to the beach and they had started to shut things down. It was the first number of where they're shutting down to less than 250 people could gather. So we, so we moved it to the Dream Center, moved out of BF Terry. And they're like, Pastor, you got to come home and preach. I'm like, yep, we're in, you know, something's happening. I'm going to come home and preach. And I'll never forget that Sunday, I'm at the Dream Center. I'm like, we'll see you guys in two weeks. I mean, oh, five months later, we gathered together. And I'll never forget in that season, you know, I'm thinking, oh, anybody can do anything for two weeks. But the problem was I went into it with a vacation mentality. I just got back from vacation. Hey, listen, on vacation, we don't get up early. We read a little bit, but we ain't reading a lot. And as far as the kids go, as long as they are breathing, we are good. Where are they at? I don't know. You alive? Cool. Great. You're alive. Breathe. What you want me to do? I don't know. Figure it out. Like three years old. Figure it out. Get you some food. Yeah. Fix your own food. Okay, mommy. <laughs> You're on vacation. You don't live life normally on vacation. And so we got out of the disciplines and the rhythms of life. And then all of a sudden, some of you started dealing with habits that you had broken a long time ago. Spiritual disciplines that you had developed to read your Bible and pray, they were broken. And, and some people, you know, became back on alcohol and coping and television. And how, how many found yourself watching just about everything there is to watch where you're like, there is nothing to watch because we watched it all. Come on, somebody. What happened? We went into a crisis with a vacation mentality. And then the problem was we developed habits that at first we had, but now they have us. The lack of discipline, fear, anxiety. We allowed these things to begin to be a part of who we are. And then we find ourselves stuck. And what I want you to know is just because you're stuck doesn't mean you're stranded. You might feel a little bit stuck. There may be some things that, that, that in your life you feel like life has stalled. But with God, you're not stranded. He's got the hope of our life. He will move us forward. God has never left you. He will never leave you. He will keep your life moving forward. 
And so the book was really birthed out of that. And I, I was studying and just trying to help. And really, I came across a stat that was shocking. 80% of Americans feel stuck. 80% of Americans, whether it's your marriage, maybe it's your job, maybe it's your spiritual life or family finance, it doesn't matter. They just feel stuck. And so my greatest desire, whether it's through the book, whether it's through the series, whether it's through small groups, how many of you guys are in the Unstuck and Unstoppable small groups? Man, the going's so good, you know, so pumped about that. I got two people here in Unstuck and Unstoppable small groups. <laughs> if you're not in a small group, I want to encourage you, get in a small group. Uh, we have them, they happen all throughout the week. And I, I just believe the way to digest anything, the way to grow, the way to be matured is not coming to a Sunday, not just reading a book, it's doing life together. It's, it's us, hey, let's wrestle with this. Where are you stuck? Look, see, because that's what small groups are all about. It's like, I'm going to show you all of me and you show me all of you. And we expose the areas that the enemy would try to keep secret. You're only as sick as your secrets. So somebody like, oh, I'm good. No, you're not good because you hadn't been honest with people. You hadn't told them how your marriage really, well, I'm afraid. Yeah, I know it is, it is a little nerve wracking when you're honest. Hey, we're, we're struggling a little bit, but it's okay to struggle. Can I tell you, everybody goes through the struggle. So the key is don't go through the struggle by yourself. Here's the way we look at it. Hey, we're struggling a little bit right now, but we said death to us part. We ain't going nowhere. So it's like, hey, yeah, but, but then you get around friends, you're like, hey, man, I can't really stand her today. But usually it's her saying that about me. And I'm like, you know, it, it, so we're honest. And we're like, well, look, this is what we do. And how do we keep moving? And how, man, my kids are acting like little devils today. I thought I gave them to Jesus, but the wrong one took them. You know what I mean? It's like, have you ever felt like that? And they'll say, man, are you kidding? My kid was acting like that today. I said, so, well, what are you doing? Well, what are you doing? And it's the living life together. Sam and Reba, I love you guys. I just saw your face. I love you too. So it's like, what are you doing? They were in my small group last semester. So how many love small groups? They, uh, so what are you doing in life? How are we getting through life? How do we make it? And it's in the fact that we do life together in community. And as I was researching for the book, uh, it was very interesting. I read an article about domesticated elephants, which is really an oxymoron when you think about a domesticated elephant. Uh, an elephant should never be controlled by a human. Come on, somebody. Like uh, elephants are massive and powerful and big. And the last thing to tell an elephant what to do is a person. And yet the article was talking about domesticated elephants. You might see them at the circus um, nowadays. Really where you see them is overseas, like in Asia. Uh, populations will use elephants for the workforce, especially primitive populations. And then if you ever go overseas and you do like an elephant ride, um, what's happened is you've got trainers that have domesticated that elephant because elephants were never intended to be ridden. They were never intended to be tamed. Uh, they're actually intended to roam free. There's this spirit about an elephant that wants to roam free. But the way they talked in this article was that if someone wants to domesticate an elephant, a trainer will go and capture a baby elephant, take it away from its mother, isolate it, put it in a cage, wrap a chain around its foot and tie that chain up to like a wooden tree, something to where it cannot move or escape. And for weeks, sometimes months, it's isolated, it's malnourished. Uh, they actually torture the, 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 the elephant. Lots of horrible things happen. So the elephant is trying to break free 
from the bondage of that chain or that rope that's been wrapped around its ankle to that tree and it's trying to break free and it can't do it. So in the middle of the pain, it's trying to get freedom. In the middle of its pain, it's trying to do what it was created to do, which was roam. And yet it's, it's tortured and all the things that happen. It's a horrible process. And what's amazing is then all of a sudden at the end of this, there comes a point in the, the elephant's mind where the mind breaks. And they call it the breaking of its spirit. And it recognizes from that moment on something settles the lie that I will never be free is believed by the elephant and it no longer fights. And then they bring someone, one of the captors comes and brings it water and food and lead it out of captivity. The one that bound it brings a false sense of freedom and leads it out. And from that moment on, that elephant will be domesticated and follow that person and whoever the person leads into its life. It's become domesticated. And it's from the pain and the trauma that it experienced as a baby. Think about that. That's how come, and I don't know the extent of what they do in the circuses, but they've banned this whole practice. That's how come you can have this massive, beautiful, majestic elephant tied to a stake. Have you ever seen that? I mean, you've been to the circus, you're like, what in the world? Like that big old elephant could just pull that stake right out. Well, why is it there? Because of the pain and the trauma of the past. I wonder if there aren't those of us here today that have been domesticated Christians. God has made you powerful, strong, majestic. Do you, do you realize that as a Christian, the God of the universe is on the inside of you? That you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit himself? That greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world? That no weapon formed against you shall prosper? Every tongue that rises up against you will be put to shame? And yet at the same time, we find ourselves domesticated by the enemy. The same one that abused us can now control us. The same one that caused us as a child. Think about this. Look, God didn't cause your pain. He didn't come in and make your parents get a divorce. How many know that's the devil? He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he wants to destroy your life and their life and everyone else's life because you were made in the image of God Almighty. And so the devil comes to destroy the home. God didn't do that. But the trauma of the abandonment still lives in your life today. And God is trying to get you to step out and to keep moving forward. But you've been stuck ever since that moment. Maybe you were abused as a child, verbally or physically. See, I, I wish the devil would come and mess with us when we're older. You know, you look at that elephant. It's like, why don't you try to torture that elephant when he's looking like that? No, 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 it's too big. See, see, the devil gets us when you're vulnerable. When you are by, and, and think about all the attacks of the enemy. Now as an adult, the enemy attacks, I almost, you laugh, you're like, well, it doesn't feel good, but God's going to do something. Why? Because I'm mature. I've grown up. I know what God's character is. I know the power that God has placed inside of me. But now what I have found is I've got to go back and deal with the trauma from the past, the pain of the childhood, the moments where the enemy sowed a lie into me when I was vulnerable or weak, and I believed the lie, and now that lie has got me wrapped up in chains and in his bondage. It's time to break free. 
It's time to become unstoppable. And I believe that's one of the premises of what God, one of the, 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 the mandates of what God wants me to do with this book in the series is that there are so many Christians that if we would really see who God has created you to be and the life he's called you to live, I'm telling you what, this world would be radically changed because you would display his glory, his power, and his goodness to a world that is dying and going to hell. And I believe radical transformation would happen in our communities. See, it's not good enough for us to just say we're going to heaven. We don't want to just make it to heaven. I want this world that I live in, this earth that we are a part of, I want to take dominion over it for God. I want to push back the forces of darkness. I want them to know your marriage might be a mess. My marriage was in a mess, but guess what? God healed it. I know your family might be a little dysfunctional. My family's a little dysfunctional. So why don't we get some healing together? Why don't we get God's power in our lives and move this church forward? I don't want to be a domesticated Christian. I want you to know God gives you purpose beyond the pain that you've experienced. And I think there was a lot of pain in COVID. Can we just be candid? Some of you lost your jobs with places of employment you were faithful to, you gave your life to. Some of you, your marriages, your spouse said things that hurt you. Your children said or did things. And, and I get it. It doesn't have to be a pain in the childhood memory or experience, but it's pain when we're vulnerable. God wants to heal it. Today you can break free. And I want you to, everybody experiences pain. I think that's where, I remember when we began this church and even before it, I just told Phyllis and we talked about it, I'm just going to be real. Like, you know, I know some people say, well, you just, but I want to be transparent because I, I was a part of a place where I didn't, I didn't always hear the stories of struggle. I didn't always hear the stories. You know, the, the generation before us, it was almost like there was a, a chink in the armor if they told us that they were real and they struggled. And I remember sitting back there sometimes just thinking, wow, man, your life must be perfect. And then getting behind the scenes as an older, more mature Christian realized their, their life isn't perfect. But I know this, we know a God who is. I'm imperfect, but I'm covered by perfection. Yeah. And thank God for his grace. And thank God for a church that says, look, you got hurts, habits, and hangups. Well, so do I. But guess what? We're not stopping. We're not quitting. We're not shutting down. We're not pushing back. We're going to advance forward. God uses imperfect people to display his perfect glory. So grateful for that. So grateful for it. And I look at the Apostle Paul. He is one of my favorite people to talk about. I write about him a lot in the book. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul, um, he's going to talk a little bit about some of the pain that he has walked through in his life. And you would think when someone gets saved, it's just, da-da. I mean, when you got saved, you're like, oh, it's going to be good. And it was for about a week. And then after that, it's like all hell breaks loose. Anybody? I, we, Phyllis and I, we have a friend of ours that's been one of her friends for many, many years. And she gave her life to Jesus, and she actually did a post on it. She said, I gave my life to Jesus, and all hell broke out. I mean, her horse dies. I mean, just traumatic. He died, died in a traumatic way. Things happened at her job, at her family, at her relationships. And, you know, she was coming back to us and said, you know, it just seems unfair. It's like it doesn't make sense. And, and what we realized 
is that it doesn't make sense because you think, wow, it's going to be great. But what you got to realize, the greater the attack, the greater the anointing. God, the devil recognizes that you're a threat to his kingdom. And so I'm not worried if I get an attack. I'm worried if I'm not being attacked. And so Paul is walking through. It's like he, he, there's this, you know, Damascus Road transformation. He was a persecutor of Christians. Now he is a person building the church. And look at what he walks through. He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Yo, I don't know. You got me there. I'm fearful of like the open sea. Come on, so I watch too many of them Jaws movies, 47 meters down. Like I'm scared to go in a swimming pool at night. I'm like, that Jaws is going to jump out of the pool. I, if I can't see the bottom, it's na 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 Y'all go. Y'all go. And then when you cry for help, I may extend the pole. That's it. Yes, you go. <laughs> but he, my man is in the open sea. He's out constantly on the move. He's been in danger from rivers. Here's his testimony. Too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) I I mean, and and listen, listen, I ain't hating. Like, favor ain't fair. Fog. Like, I got it. I got it. We got to, can we get rid of some of the cliches and just say, danger? (laughs) Could you imagine? I want somebody getting some some wristbands. Danger. Danger. Look, look. It's not favor, it's not blessed, danger from bandits, danger from fellow Jews. Fellow Jews, like think these are my brothers, the danger from Gentiles, these are my other brothers. <laughs> danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and he was not on a reality show. <laughs> Come on, somebody, and we got a right to complain about I didn't get a parking spot. I had to stay isolated. Right? I mean, think, think about it. I, I think we've got to put the Bible in perspective and recognize that half the battle is the awareness of, man, I am born again. There's going to be attacks. The devil's coming after me, but greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. And I'm not going to allow this situation that I am walking through or have walked through to cause me to be bitter. See, when I look at Paul's life and all the trials and all the struggles and all the circumstances, you never see him being bitter. He doesn't get bitter towards it. He doesn't get angry. Anybody ever been angry at God? Raise your hand if you've been angry at God. Well, y'all are way more honest than the first service. They all lied. I'm a bunch of liars. Y'all were at least half honest. Yeah. See, y'all are more saved. Don't tell them. Right. I mean, because religion would say, how dare you be angry with God? No, how dare me not express what I'm really feeling? God ain't afraid of your feelings. We get in trouble when we try to suppress it. It's like, God, I'm angry. This stinks. I've said a few choice words to God. I'm not going to tell you what I said, but I've said them out of frustration. And it's like, God, why I've done everything? Or maybe I didn't. I didn't even see it. And, and what we understand is it's okay to express the anger with God. Just let's don't be angry with those who have offended us. 
Like, you got to forgive them. You got to let them go. He, he didn't walk around offended. I remember one of the stories I talk about is Acts 27 and 28, where the viper bites Paul. So he's stranded on the island of Malta, and the viper comes out of the fire. Yo, Paul was serving. How many dream teamers I got in this place? Those of those of you that serve week in and out, thank God for our children's dream teamers, our volunteers. Come on, y'all need to give it up better for that. I got four children. I'm like, whoo! <laughs> My children back there. Come on, somebody. Being ministered to. But, but you got, he's serving. How do you mean? Because he was picking up wood for the fire. He wasn't being lazy. He wasn't out there doing nothing. He was doing his responsibility. And a snake bites him, and people start talking about him. Anybody ever serve God, and people just start talking about you? And you start to say, well, who do you think you are? No, no, don't do that. I love Paul. He didn't say nothing. He just kept on working. Kept on working. Kept on moving. And then finally, when they realized that viper didn't kill him, they said, oh, my God. Because they started to say he must have been a murderer. He, God's paying penance. Well, what ended up happening, now he's not a murderer. He's a God. And God used the fact that he kept his mouth shut to see revival come to the entire island with healings. And I mean, it was amazing. Uh, it is awesome to see how God will use people who keep your mouth shut. I'm going to keep moving. He wasn't resentful. He just endured. I, I, Paul, when you look at his life, he endured hardship and he embraced it. So I think some of us, we've got to say, I'm going to stop running from what's hard and start embracing what's God. You say, well, well, it's unjust. It's okay. You know, sometimes when you walk through a test, it's always, you're always trying to figure it out. Like for me, I, was, I used to always figure, am I, is it a test? Am I being disciplined? Or is it an attack? I mean, what is it? And I would just say, yes. Well, what do you mean? Well, which is it? Yes that no matter what it is, that we still have something we can learn and say, hey, God, you have never left me. You will never leave me. So, God, you don't bring the trials, but, God, I'm going to have joy. Isn't that what James says? Have joy when trials and afflictions come. Why? Because God's going to produce something in me. You meant it for evil, but God's going to turn it around for good. Romans 8 talks about we serve a turnaround God. Yeah, they meant it for this, but God will flip the script on them and cause it to be a blessing that elevates me where his glory is displayed on this earth. We serve a turnaround God. Got to embrace it. Look at four, Philippians 4, 12 and 13. Paul talks through and says, hey, here's the secret sauce. As I was reading and studying for the book, and even just throughout my life, it's, Paul, what is it? Because that's the way I, when I read the Bible, it's like, God, what, what did he know that I don't know? Like, how, how could he go through those things and come out better and not bitter? Look at what happens in verse 12. He says, I know how to live. Some of us just don't know how to live. We're existing God doesn't want you to exist. He wants you to live with intentionality and purpose. But look what he says. He says, in almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether I've got a full stomach or an empty stomach. Anybody ever had a moment where you just didn't have any food to eat? How many had a moment where your belly was full? We just call you fluffy. How many had that COVID bod? <laughs> yeah. So, so what's his point? In every extreme. Full stomach, empty stomach, plenty or little. Here's the secret in verse 13. I can do everything through, everybody say that word, 
Christ. Say it one more time. Christ. I can do it through my own strength. I can do it through my own tenacity, my own will, my own discipline. Is that what he says? No, 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 no. He doesn't say through anything that you have to offer. The only one that has something to offer is Jesus Christ himself. When we get stuck in every situation, it's like, I can. The devil said, you can't. You need to stand up and say, I can. Not because of me, but all because of him. I can do it through who? Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul knew. See, Paul's strength was rooted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't religion. It wasn't tradition. It was an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I really came to realize this in my life shortly after I was born again. You know, I was in my early 20s. Phyllis and I had been married for not a very long time, a short amount of time. And I write about it in the book. I share a lot of my story and our testimony. But Phyllis and I, I was raised in church. My mom brought us to church every single week. Uh, aren't you glad for parents that make you go to church? Can I, can I talk to the parents in this place? Don't give your kids the option. Nobody's going to opt to come to church when you're a teenager. You know, we just, we had to go. And well, if I'm here, okay, I'm going to be here. But when I was here, God would touch me and minister to me. Well, in my early 20s, after I was married, we, we, we backslid. We had, uh, Phyllis and I were entrepreneurs. We had a restaurant. We had real estate investment company. My twin brother and I owned some real estate together. And, uh, you know, at first everything was going good, but then my marriage started to fall apart. Started to fight. You realize, hey, I love you, but I don't know if I like you. Started to have challenges. The pressures of life were young and selfish. I was selfish and the business and all the pressures and things that started to happen. And, and, and life began to be overwhelming to me. And so Phyllis and I turned to other ways to cope. We began to do drugs and alcohol and party and do all the things. Really what you're doing is you're trying to escape the problems that you're in and you're turning to a false substitute, something that'll never satisfy. So we were caught up in that, and then you're bound up in that. And then all of a sudden, February 7, 2003, God saved me. Many of you know the story. I'm not going to go into it in my bathroom, have a vision from God. And the one thing I will tell you is that I saw two things, the, 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 the road fort. I saw a vision of a road going to heaven and a road going to hell. And the voice that I heard was you choose right now. And I know in that moment, had I not chosen God, I believe with all my heart, I'd be in hell. I think I would have died that night. That was my moment. And I, I said, yes, gave my life to Jesus, went to church. It was amazing at first. God started healing my marriage, restoring everything the devil tried to steal, went to church, getting back involved. Business was blowing up. Things were doing great. And about six months later, something happened that was so unexpected. That's why it caught me off guard because my life was doing so good. The landlord of the business that we had came in and unjustly evicted us. We lost the restaurant. By the time we get back into the court and file a junction to get back in, we lost our employees, we lost all of our product and all of our inventory, and we lost our reputation. And I went into this massive depression, angry with God, bitter with God. I can't believe it. I don't, I don't understand why you would do what you allowed to happen. It just, it didn't make sense to me. And I found myself in that moment saying, God, I need your help. 
I can't make it without you. And I was reading the passage, Philippians 4.13. I can't. I was saying, God, I can't. And I read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know what it's like to not have 10 cents to put gas money in your gas tank and to go off and wait tables. We had three jobs. I had to get there. I had 10 cents in my pocket, had no gas. How many know when your gas is not only low, but it's out? Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? Y'all pray all the time. God does miracles all the time. I get in my wife's car. I'm like, oh, you lived another miracle today. I pray and I'm like, God, we're, I'm out of gas, made it there, made enough money. I know what it's like to not have enough. Our homes were in foreclosure. We had four properties at that time that were just in foreclosure. All of our cars were being, re- I know what it's like. To <laughs> Anybody ever park somewhere different because the repo man is coming? I know what that's like. My mom and dad lived behind us. We bought two of the homes on the opposite side behind them. I know what it's like to park my car over there and walk across so that it doesn't get repoed in a spot where I didn't know how to get through it and what I could do. And I just felt this scripture come out to me and say, you can, because see, the moment you say, I can't get out of this, the moment you say, we can't move forward, you've already sealed the fate for that situation. But the moment you realize, look, devil, you look like you've won, and it doesn't matter whose fault it is that I'm here. I feel like I'm good, but even if it's not, I can move forward. I can get out of debt. I can see this situation turn around. And what we find, I have found, is everybody wants a quick turnaround. We like a microwave Christianity. Just stick it in the microwave. About a minute later, it comes out. No, no, can I tell you, 10 years later, 10 years, we refused to file bankruptcy. I felt the Lord just speak to me. Don't, I'm not saying bankruptcy is wrong. I'm, not, I'm telling you what God told me. And it took 10 years. And every time those creditors would call me like, God, are you sure? Because I could file right now on all these suckers. <laughs> <laughs> He said, no, no, no. And here's what I know. The disciplines that I learned in those 10 years, the financial principles that I operated at, the same things that have built this, that have allowed us to see us not only survive a pandemic, but thrive through a pandemic. And that's because God says you can, even when the devil says you can't. Come on, give God some glory today. So good. So good. Second thing that Paul recognized was what I see in his life is Paul didn't make excuses. He took responsibility. And and we've got to be careful about making excuses because excuses validate your reality. When we make an excuse like I can't because, the moment you say because, you have now validated your situation and now you're living beneath God's plan for your life. See, God didn't call you to be a victim. God wants you to be a victor. But when you say, I can't because, now you allow things to happen to you. I am a victim, and I'm living as a victim, and I have now lived beneath God's best for my life. It's like, no, no, I can because of Christ. I can do it all through him, not because of me. Look, I know that your spouse left you, but you're like, I can't move forward because he left. Yes, you can. I can't raise my family because they're dysfunctional. Yes, you can. I can't make ends meet because my, Josh, my boss fired you. Yes, you can. 
You're not a victim. And so responsibility says, look, it doesn't matter how we got here. You probably made some mistakes. We all make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. But I'm like, God, it don't matter how I got here, but I refuse to stay here. So whatever portion I can fix on me, I'm going to fix. When Phyllis and I were struggling in our marriage, it's easy to say, God, she's the one. Fix her. (laughs) Let me ask you this. How's that working for you? No, no, no. You want to fix her? Fix this. You want to fix your kids? Fix this. Look, your kids didn't come pre-programmed. You're like, oh, they dysfunctional. Oh, my God. Have anybody ever wanted to run from your kids? You're like, you're in the mall or something, and you're like, whose kids are those? Those ain't my kids. My God, that must be your kids. All of the craziness that you see, we put it there. Our environment, what we create, and so here's what I know. If I put it there, I can take it out of there. And if I can't, I'm going to send them to heaven. (laughs) I'm the change agent. I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to take responsibility. Whatever I need to change, I'm going to change. Sometimes it's not anything to do with you, but you can still take responsibility for not staying stuck. Look, there are some bad things that have happened, and I don't want to minimize that, but I do want you to know you don't have to stay where you're at. You can now say, God, I'm going to move forward. I, I found <clears throat> with, even with our staff buying this building, the Lord <clears throat> really spoke to me about this building. About a handful of times where God has said something so clear as big as this. And I'll never forget, we got in, in some meetings and it's not can we or can't we, because that's already been decided. God says it, in my heart anyway. So then what what you have to do is say, not I can't, but how. Everybody say how. The moment you replace that word, I can't with how do we do it. Look, I can't fix my family. Okay, no, you can't. How do we fix it? Okay, I can't can't make money come into my bank account. No, you can't. Now, God, I can do all things through Christ's strength. So how does God want to do that? You see, you just flip the script on that. And the moment you do that, what happens is, even scientists will tell you, the the options of possibilities floods into your life. Relationships will flood into your life. People will start coming around because now it's not I can't, but it's how. How do we do it? God, how do we change the world? How do I change my family? How do I change my marriage? How do I change my financial situation? How do I change my educational status right now? God, how do we do it? It seems insurmountable. It seems like that mountain is too high to climb. That valley is too low. But God, I know with you, I can do all things. So not can I or can I. It's God, how do we do it? How do we do it? Third thing, and the the last thing that Paul knew uh, was that God was with him and God was for him. And I think it's so incredible for us as Christians, or so important for us to know, look, God is with you and God is for you. So imagine every situation, he's in the sea a night and a day, he's being stoned to death, I mean, basically, he's been beaten by rods, and I mean, Paul was just danger, 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 danger. At no point did Paul ever say, God, are you with me? I think there comes a point in your life where it's not, God, are you with me? It's like, God, I know you're with me, but I would sure like to feel you. You see the difference? Because if you think God's abandoned you, now you feel hopeless. Oh, he left me. No, no, God never left you. 
I might not feel him. It might be a test. It might be mature. I, I, I don't know, but I know God that you are with me. And then we got to take it a step forward because not only is he with you, I want you to know God is for you. Well, what do you mean? That means he has a plan for your life. So what, so what do you mean? He's not your dad that was abusive. You see, sometimes we see God through this eye and this filter of a parent that was over-dominating and, and, and one that was abusive. And only if you give favors, if you did the right thing and you did the right stuff. And I want you to know it, it's not about performance. God loves you if you never do another thing. God made you. God handcrafted you. God fashioned you. God formed you. He is with you and he is for you. You see, that even though I can't see him, God is He's fighting on my behalf. And there's something about that that puts some pep in your step. Something about that that, yeah, I know people are talking about me. I know this person did that. And, 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 and I know my boss says this and maybe my spouse. But God, you're with me. God, you're for me. And though I can't see how to get out of this, I know you're going to lead me every step of the way. And there are moments the only thing I can do is just say, what's the next step, God? No feeling, no emotion. See, it's good to have the feeling, but it's better to have the knowing. See, the feeling is like, woo, I felt, because how many felt the presence of God here today? You're in worship, you're like, I feel him. But, but you know what's even better? Feeling or no feeling, I got a knowing. I know he's here. I, in fact, I'll, I'll tend to sometimes respond even more when I don't feel it, just to show him I don't need a feeling. I don't need that. Thank you for that. I bless you for that. It's awesome. But God, I'm going to serve you whether I feel it or not. I'm going to serve you whether it seems like all things are going to work out or not. God, you ain't got to do another thing for me. I give my life to you. I surrender everything to you. And God, I'm grateful for you. But God, you are with me and you are for me. I just love that. Look at what it says. I, I love the passage. Deuteronomy 31.8. I read this often when I'm walking through a struggle and a trial. The Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. Come on, aren't you glad we serve a good God? Can you give the Lord an ovation of praise? Stand on your feet this morning. God, we worship you. Come on, tell him how much. Give him an ovation of praise. God, we worship you. We praise you, God. We love you. We magnify you.